You hit that guy. He shouldn't have been standing. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I lost him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see? And welcome back once again, my 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 beautiful listeners, to Gag Reel, the nonsense, unnecessary, unasked for podcast that celebrates comedy in film and television and deeply analyzes it like no one wanted, but you're here anyways. Uh, I am your host, Ryan, and joining me as always is Will. The one person who asked for this. <laughs> How's it going, folks? So, uh, how are you doing, Will? I'm doing fine, dandle diddly doodly. In, in diddly doodly. I am, I am as well. I wish I had some, uh, some big updates on, on the show, on, on life, on funny things I've been watching, but don't really have anything going on right now other than uh, what we're going to talk about today, Three Amigos. I'll throw out there, uh, I just finished the fourth season of Search Party. Okay. Definitely check it out. It's not hysterical, but it's pretty damn funny, and it's got this just it's this dark comedy that just gets crazier every season. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I've, heard, I've heard good things. It's uh, a really, really good show, and the fourth season blew my brain holes. I'll keep that in mind. If, yeah. if I ever get some free time to watch something, yeah, it's, maybe uh, I forgot who the the leading showrunners are. It was produced uh, like like started up by Michael Showalter of uh, Oh okay, What Hot America Summer fame, but yeah. it's uh, way different from his uh, ludicrous comedy roots. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more grounded. In fact, kind of the ongoing joke is how grounded it is. It, it, it's hard it's hard to describe it's an interesting show in fact the more someone tries describing it the more you're gonna ruin a lot of the uh the premises and the uh the the you get more into spoilers than you, you end up uh ruin it for yourself so just check it out one of the many 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 members of uh the state yeah and i want to talk about them one day hopefully we can do a wet hot american summer thing um and use that as an excuse to talk about the state, or maybe we can do a uh, an episode where we talk about kind of the best sketches of that team. But they they were definitely a, an overlooked comedy team. Oh yeah, they've all gone off to do some yeah really unique crazy stuff. But too much preamble here. Yeah, I know what uh, what I came here for. I know what the listeners came here for. We're gonna talk about the uh, the nineteen eighty six. Cult classic? Comedy classic? I don't know. I don't really know the reach of this movie and how well it did. That's something we're going to discuss. But it's something I grew up with and has a lot of really hysterical sequences in it. But yeah, I guess if you don't have any further ado, Will, let's just go. All right. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the three caballeros. Uh, Wait, no, that was what it was initially titled when Steve Martin wrote the script. No, we're talking about the three amigos. Let's ride! The three amigos. They were the biggest stars of their day. The three amigos are history. But that was yesterday. Look, boys, I know showbiz. Something always turns up. Telegram for the three amigos. I've thought about it a few times of changing up the script here and like throwing you just a weird curveball question, but do it. Not gonna do that this time. Oh damn it! Today, once again, as almost always, uh, just give me what. What were your thoughts on it this time? This time around, watching the Three Amigos. Okay, I guess first and foremost, this was a very difficult movie for me to take my nostalgia goggles off to watch. I I rewatched this movie so many times as a kid that like just watching it 
again, I, I, it was, it was kind of hard to just see past all that and just kind of watch it with, with fresh non nostalgic goggles. Take yeah, off the, yeah. the goggles without the rose tinted. Yeah. Uh, speculoos. Yes. That said, I found it, uh, you know, like bizarre and mm-hmm. very amusing at the same time. Okay. It's, it, it, um, it's not particularly subversive. It's not particularly intelligent. It's not a parody or even a satire. It's just zany and ludicrous and silly. Yeah. And, um, and, and that makes it extremely fun, albeit sitcom-y. Mm-hmm. And um, for as dumb as it is, it's very, very endearing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. There's definitely a reason why I loved this so much as a kid. Like, all the absurd bits really work. Watching yeah. it nowadays, though, I definitely see where it really slogs. And, oh, like, yeah. all of those big jokes that I remember, um, they're definitely not all the jokes. They were jokes this time that I, I, I caught me... And I don't think I remembered laughing at them as much years ago. Like, yeah. I don't think I used to find it so super funny that the three of them slept in a bed together. But watching <laughs> that now, this time, I, I laughed out loud when I saw that. Somehow, I, I guess I just forgot or, yeah, I just didn't find it as amusing as a kid. They also rode on a donkey together to the yes. village of Santa Poco. Yes, but this movie really takes a while to get you to the Amigos actually being funny and, you know, being their wacky selves. It takes a while yeah. to get to that scene with Art Flugelman, I think it was his name. Uh, that 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 moment, it ta- once it gets to the Flugelman, that's when the jokes start coming. Yeah, like, yeah, I, and- I'm, I'm assuming that that intro song might have been added later on or something when they sat down and realized like, oh yeah, like it takes a while to get to the funny here. Yeah. I could be wrong. That's just an assumption there. Well, there's some things about the edit of this film that I'll get into, but uh, yeah, that's very possible. But that yeah, they it, were just, they were trying it, to open it up with, by telling you, Hey, this is a comedy. Just sit tight for about 10 minutes. Yeah. It's a good 10, 15 minutes till you get to that Flugelman scene and you're suddenly surrounded by what was then, you know, equal parts current SNL cast and kind of, you know, the members of yesteryear, yeah. uh, which, which is kind of neat nowadays, like trying remembering, oh, yeah, like John Lovitz and Phil Hartman were like brand new to SNL when this came out. Yeah, that said, I thought they, they, they were able to rapidly transition to film pretty well. I mean, like, I, I really enjoyed just how excited John Lovitz was to like explain the most cliche story uh-huh. possible. <laughs> and it's like, he acted like it's brilliant. And then on top of that, Phil, and then on top of that, like Phil Hartman is just once again, displaying his comedic ability to make any line, no matter how mundane funny in some way. Mm-hmm. This time by just making wacky facial expressions, just play it really robotic. Like get rid of his clothes. Although, like, that, that opening scene, it doesn't... Well, opening scene, quote-unquote. The the first scene we really get to know the Amigos, um, it, it, it kind of shows you who they all are, but I don't think... Like, like you were saying earlier, this movie isn't super sophisticated. I, I think, for the most part, the three characters are just, you know... They're just there for ammo for dumb jokes. They don't... Like, they all have a little bit of distinction in their characters, but... They're not super consistent and like, you know, they're they're different kind of idiocies. They're all idiots, but they're different kind of idiots. You know, Steve Martin's the idiot who thinks he's sophisticated and a leader, you know. Ned's the kid who never grew up. The child star who you know, and and then you got uh Speaking of which, how many little Netty movies did they make? I feel like he mentions like at least three or four. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of little Netty movies. And uh, what was her name? Uh, Dorothy Tish. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you about. Young man, you have got it. And... Ah! <laughs> Dorothy Tish. 
I was just about to ask, like, if you could spoil before your uh, research segment, like, did you, is she a real woman? Okay, so out of all the silent movie references they make in this movie, mm-hmm. there is only one true-to-life reference. Like, none of the other movies, like the, the stuff on the billboards or stuff during the Hollywood sequences, none of those were real, except for Dorothy Tish, who was an actual silent movie film star. That's funny. Yeah. Or Dorothy Gish. I'm saying Tish. Dorothy Gish. Yeah, um... I think this movie kind of dabbles in being a throwback to silent era comedy. Um, but I think that's more just set dressing. I, I don't think it really commits like it's a mad, mad, mad world did to really yeah. being like a uh, a love letter to that era. It um, I, I do think it was all three of these actors, though, are amazing at physical comedy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they were cast specifically... Well, I mean, cast. I, I know this was kind of Steve Martin's project, but I, I wonder if uh, he brought on Chevy Chase and Martin Short with them in mind as physical performers because this was this kind of silent era uh, kind of idea. I'm going to say sort of. Okay. Oh, this is something you looked into? Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, Chevy Chase, uh, to people who, like, you know, either don't remember or just never saw it, but, like, he was known on SNL as the physical guy. He played Gerald Ford, and every punchline was just him falling over. Yeah, because the, cause the joke about him being in office was he he, would, he never got elected. He just stumbled into office. Yeah. So Chevy Chase is Gerald Ford, the guy who stumbles everywhere. Yeah. And a handful of the Martin Short, you know, SCTV stuff I've seen and... uh. And little SNL side bits he did often yeah. leans towards the physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Or just wacky characters. He he rolled into wacky characters as well. Mm-hmm. Some of those probably don't age super well. No. Uh, but genuinely hilarious in this film. Uh, yeah. But that's, uh, in fact, yeah, I, I, I feel I'd, I'd love to do an episode on the father of the bride, but I'm nervous about his character in that movie. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Oh, yeah. It's been a while, though. That I, I would be down. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, keeping it kind of just broad strokes right now. I do think uh, we, we I talked about the lull at the start of the movie. I, I do think there's lots of little kind of bits that like are little chunks of the movie that don't have too much comedy in them. And I, I think all the like stuff, uh, all the cross cutting to El, El Guapo's camp. It's def- they're definitely like going for humor and he is genuinely funny, but there's a lot of those jokes that didn't really land for me with him talking to his kind of second in command. Yeah. Um, it, it's maybe it just, you know, uh, feels kind of trite to me now. I, I don't know, but it just, uh, all that dialogue humor didn't ever really land super well for me. Yeah. The him and Hefe bits were just kind of, eh. Yeah. And then some of the, yeah, some of the other jokes were just were kind of a smirk here or there, but mm. never like a laugh laugh. I do like him shooting the guy, Paco, I think was his name. I forget. Yeah, that was great. That was great. And El, El Guapo himself, uh, the actor, and we'll, we'll talk about uh, him more, the, uh, the actual performer there, but he is genuinely funny, especially at the end with, with his good trick. Yeah. Um, that was a good trick, too. I obviously I want to get to this more so after the research because I just want to go all out and talk about it. But the second act of this movie, them in the desert, is just like flabbergastingly like a different kind of angle of of absurd comedy, and I think it really works because it's so different from the rest of the movie. It makes it so surreal and so like off the wall and so like wait, what the hell just happened? Yeah, okay. And somebody it's genuinely like there's no bigger laugh in the movie than the invisible swordsman. Yeah. Okay, so some uh there was an, there's an article on blu-ray.com talking about the movie and it pointed out something that like now that I've heard this observation, it's just like it's never going to that movie the movie's never going to be the same like in but um, I mean, it had to be intentional because of the fact that. Oh yeah. I like think okay, so. but but anyways, uh, pointing this out, um, the moment the amigos decide to become real, actual heroes, uh-huh. the film around them becomes significantly more fake for the entire rest of the movie. Okay. So they go off on the the 
and then suddenly there are backdrops that are obvious backdrops. Yeah, you know, yeah. like they're in sound stages, and uh, the plot gets more and more absurd. Suddenly, this town has this arsenal that they just had hidden the whole time, and uh-huh. and they they're able to sew up an entire uh, village worth of uniforms all within a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. It's like they basically embody their silent film roles. They turn into the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. In, uh, but um, yeah, I just I never I always just thought it just gets wacky, but I just I never thought it like I never thought of it like that where it just the and the ending becomes... sequences, you know, after they get out of the desert and make it to El Guapo's base, um, there are a lot of like you know absurd moments there, like Ned flying across the whole uh, you know uh, atrium when he shoots his gun, um, yeah. There's a lot of little moments like that, but I don't think any part of the movie is ever as absurd as when it becomes a magical journey in the desert. Yeah. With a singing bush and, a, and an invisible swordsman. Yeah, and I love, it's great. We'll, we'll talk about that scene in, in depth after you, uh, you, you give us um, kind of the research that you did here. So I want to know everything you dug up about this movie, because shamefully, I don't really know much about its production. Uh, well, okay, so I found a bit. However, I do have to warn any audience who wants some sort of extreme deep dive. It's fairly bereft in terms of, like, lots of information. I, I found enough information, just not enough information to make myself happy. I wanted a book's worth of information. Instead, I found a couple articles worth of information. So anybody out there who is, like, how the hell did this movie come together? Eh, I, I, I know enough, but eh. But um, so in the mid-70s, this was before Steve Martin had become a household name or even done much screenwriting. Um, he heard the theme song of the 1944 Disney cartoon, The Three Caballeros. Here, amigos. Donald. Jose. <laughs> Caramba. Now we're three gay caballeros. Yeah! We're three caballeros, three gay caballeros. They say we are birds of a feather. We're happy amigos, no matter where he goes. The one, two, and three goes. We're always together. And had an idea. Quote, it was... Uh, the late 70s when I came up with the idea of the three actors going to perform a show and it becoming real. He then en- enlisted uh, two writers to convert the idea into an actual script, but uh, that draft was no good. And uh, according to him, very based on puns. I kind of wonder what that would be like if it's just... I, I, th- there are very little puns in this movie, and so what, what was it? There, there uh, is the mail plane... Maybe it was just a bunch of bits like that. But was that even a pun? I, I feel like by definition, that's a pun, yeah. Okay, yeah, male, male, but... Okay, yeah, I got you. Uh, so anyway, sometime later, Steve Martin was visiting his friend and Saturday Night Live showrunner Lorne Michaels at his home, and uh, Steve Martin showed uh, Michaels a script. Lorne thought it was a good concept, but he should start a new script from scratch. Uh, Steve Martin agreed and brought together himself, Lorne Michaels, as well as singer-songwriter Randy Newman. The three of them worked together on the new script at Steve Martin's house for about seven months. I, I don't know what the song is called, but the uh, you know the, the little cowboy on the rain song at the middle he, of the he movie. He wrote Blue Shadows. Blue he, Shadows is the most Randy Newman-ass song that he ever has written. Yeah, I love it. It's a great, it's a great moment. I, it's a great I, musical number. I couldn't help number. myself singing along with it while yep. I was watching it. It's just like, damn, I forgot how catchy this freaking song is. <laughs> but um, he also wrote uh, two other songs. I think the Ballad of the Three Amigos, as mm-hmm. well as um, My Little Buttercup, maybe My Little Buttercup, and um, those are his biggest contributions. Although he was there the entire time they wrote it all together. So I don't know. 
Um, I also know that this was around the time apparently Lorne Michaels was trying to expand outward into more Hollywood. Like he wanted to do more than just run Saturday Night Live. And so he, this was like his first step towards that. It, I guess no, it never really worked out. But Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, he, he has a very long um, IMDb page full of producer credits. He has produced... Yes. So many films and uh, TV shows, like with SNL alum and sometimes without them. So he also had a knack for reading all his cast members' scripts whenever they were ready to make movies. Mm-hmm. I, I most of the time, if I've heard of an SNL performer working on a script, they handed it off to Lorne Michaels, who gave his feedback. So yeah, no, but, I, I um, feel like we wouldn't have Portlandia. We wouldn't have so many, uh, you know, SNL cast movies. Uh, Wayne's World, MacGruber, all those. Probably wouldn't have happened without Lauren Michaels kind of giving his oomph to these uh, performers. I imagine the ones that didn't work out so much were the ones that were pushed rather than these performers <laughs> saying, hey, I got this idea, you know, because then you run into It's Pat or Coneheads or uh, yeah. the ladies' man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's always duds out there. Uh, yeah. I could appreciate some moments in Coneheads, but I feel like by the time that movie was made, that skit had already really run its course. Oh, yeah. But um, so throughout the time it took to get the script off the ground, there were uh, cast members it was written for that uh, came and went. Initially, it was intended to be Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and John Belushi. Okay. Then Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and John Belushi. Then John Belushi said no. Then it was going to be Steve Martin, Bill Murray, and Robin Williams, directed by Steven Spielberg as a follow-up to his action comedy 1941. Interesting. Then Spielberg went and made E.T. instead. I mean, I do love E.T. I'm glad uh, that that was made. I feel like his entire career went in an, uh, a much more successful path mm-hmm. had he had he not chosen uh, E.T. over what, what if, Amigos. Let's uh, open the door to alternate universe here. You know, Dan Aykroyd loves aliens or whatever. What yeah. if he would have made E.T.? Whoa. Let's fl- yeah, flip that. Dan Aykroyd's Whoa. E.T. would probably be much creepier and much dingier creepier. and weirder. And he would have gone on press tours talking about how real it is. Mm-hmm. And um, he probably would have played his crazy card a lot earlier than uh, it took him to start making Skull Vodka. And, you know, like going on interviews, it, it took him a good couple more decades before people started to realize, okay, he really, really, really believes this stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People like Alex Jones had to walk so Dan Aykroyd could run, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so yeah spielberg went and made et instead john landis uh took on the directing gig um and uh as for the cast they landed on it was uh steve martin chevy chase and martin short with this being martin short's first ever leading role in a movie that's wild yeah he was coming right off sctv which is yeah just kind of unbelievable it makes a lot of sense actually because um, I don't know if I've said this yet, but I think he is the MVP out of the three and probably of the whole movie. Every time he the camera is on him, he is working so hard to make it so that whatever he says lands in a funny way or whatever. He's always making some sort of funny face. Like I, I It makes sense that this was his first role. It seems like he put a lot of work into yeah. this. Yeah, he did a really good job. During the editing process, John Landis was on trial for the incidents that occurred during the filming of the Twilight Zone motion picture. Speaking of Dan Aykroyd. And apparently Orion Pictures made quite a few unauthorized cuts to his final edit. There's a uh, a long sequence in their mansion at the very beginning of the film, before they're fired, as well as a lengthier Hmm. sequence of El Guapo's raid on Santa Poco. And... um, Several other scenes that were uh, cut entirely. Yeah, I, I I don't know if that was a bad thing. I mean, it might have felt like a more real. It it feel it it may it may have made it feel more like a film film. But John Landis always kind of depending on his movie, whichever movie it is, he has issues with pacing from time to time. 
Yeah, sometimes he makes really long movies. Blues Brothers does not really need to be that long. No. It's a great movie, but uh, the director's cuts two and a half hours. Could have been trimmed a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, there is one moment where I always wondered if there was a scene that was cut, and it's because they do the My Little Buttercup number, but they were supposed to stay in that bar and wait. Yeah. Um, but then they just decide they to just leave. Walk, yeah, they don't really say yeah. anything about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that might just be a weird kind of you know plotty yeah. thing, but I, I I do wonder if there was a little bit of conversation that they yeah. cut out. Um, from here on out, a lot of my background information is mostly just uh, little trivia bits. Give me the bits. All right, uh, Sam Kennison, crazy screaming stand-up comedian who is no longer alive, uh, filmed a scene as a crazy mountain man wearing chicken bones <laughs> that did not make the final cut. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, Tony Plana, uh, the actor who played Hefe, uh, turned down Oliver Stone's platoon to be in this movie. I mean, he got a good amount of dialogue. Yeah. I mean, and he's had a career. He's, uh, he's had quite a career afterwards. He's in a bunch of stuff. And so I guess it didn't turn out bad for him. But um, that's just interesting. Um, had Martin Short turned down the role of Ned, Rick Moranis would have been approached for the role. They wanted a little dorky guy, yeah. I guess. They had a type they were looking for. Yeah, that was, that was a type. Um, this is amusing. Anybody uh, can go onto YouTube to check this out. But while promoting the film, Steve Martin went on David Letterman with a bunch of Three Amigos merchandise. These included Three Amigos rubber cement, Holy water, blessed by the three amigos. <laughs> Turkey basters in sizes ranging from Martin Short to Steve Martin. The Egg McMigo breakfast sandwich and three amigos contraceptive foam. I say we just do the items that seem appropriate and that people would really right. want. Mm -hmm. For example, we have some here. Yes, we have the three amigos rubber cement. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that does seem appropriate. Yeah. It's a nice thing. Here's I bet the, that was uh, one of your first items. Yes, this is uh, looking at <laughs> Three Amigos uh, rubber repair patch kit. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, am I holding this? Oh, yeah, okay. right there. Yeah. A okay. companion piece to the rubber cement. Right. We have uh, Three Amigos holy water blessed by the Three Amigos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's pretty funny. But um, John Landis's favorite moment while shooting was an argument with Chevy Chase. Quote, probably the funniest moment when shooting was when I had the three amigos on horseback in the desert and I was shooting while they were wearing those ridiculous outfits. And after having been shooting for three weeks, Chevy objected to a line of dialogue. And he said, I don't think I should say this. And remember, Chevy plays a character named Dusty Bottoms. So I said, <laughs> well, why not? He said, because my character would have to be a moron to say this. <laughs> All I could think was, what movie has Chevy been making? So I said, okay, I'll give it to Marty because it's a laugh. Then Chevy said, I'll say it. What, do you know what the line was? No, no, he, did, he didn't say which line it was. Um, maybe That's great, though. Maybe lip balm mm -hmm. because it was in the desert and there was on, they were on horseback. I don't know. It's a good line. Yeah, that's supposed to be the punchline of that, you know, that little kind of classic rule of threes joke there. There we are get a Steve lot Martin of those, yeah, classic. drinking the water and then Martin Short getting the sand in his face and then the lip balm. But Martin Short, his performance of that and just his just stone face through the whole rest of the scene, he holds that face so well. <laughs> Well, like, you're just wondering, like, why did he put, why was there sand in the canteen in the first place? Like, how did it get in there? Did he just put it in there? What's going on there? And how would like he I forget said, that there was sand in his canteen? And Martin that Short, his facial expression is just, he never closes his mouth or exactly. tries to spit out the sand. He kills it there. I feel bad because he probably had to do many takes of pouring oh, yeah. sand into his literal mouth. <laughs> but he fucking killed it. It's yeah, such a good moment. There's a lot of those, yeah, uh, three-part 
jokes where one one guy will do one thing, next guy will do a more ridiculous thing, and the last guy will do the most ridiculous thing. Like you had that whenever they decided to swing across El Guapo's base of operations mm-hmm. uh, uh, using the ropes for pinatas, and you know, like, and Dusty swings, oh, he crashes into a window, but success. Yeah. Steve Martin swings, oh, uh, no, 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 Ned swings next to he gets stuck. He gets stuck in the pinatas. And that's hysterical. Yeah. And then Steve Martin swings and he just lands on the ground. That's supposed to be the punchline. But I also just like the last one. I I, I, I like Ned getting stuck in the pinatas. He gets stuck up there and they cross. They they cut to him like three times. And every time is hilarious because the first time he's very confidently like, okay, it's all going to plan. Like he meant to get up there. Yeah. And then the next time they're like doing the fiesta and he's like bobbing his head from side to side, like enjoying the dancing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. And um, it's all just for the sake of, you know, the El Guapo, like what amigos are falling from the sky. Yeah. That, that, yeah but, it, was, it was all to set if, that one thing up. Yeah. If it wouldn't have been for Martin Short kind of making that just like subtle kind of comedy work so well of just this camera being on him. Uh, and him just kind of selling this through his facial expressions, it uh, it wouldn't be that funny of a gag, but I I think it works so well. Yeah, something that I think this movie does uh really well is you know we talk about how absurd it gets in the middle, but it does a really cool transition into that absurdity from the first act being pretty much a comedy of errors, like almost all the comedy in that first section just comes from the mistaken identity kind of thing, just that classic Shakespearean kind of humor. Yeah. But it's so cool that it doesn't rely on that for the whole movie. Like so many comedy of errors do. It leans out of that into this absurd nonsense section and then never really goes back to the, uh, the the errors kind of thing. Yeah. But that's definitely that, that brand of humor is what makes the, my little buttercup sequence work so well. Uh, and it, it's capstone so perfectly with him getting shot and then him going and lecturing El Guapo like El Guapo's breaking union rules. Yeah. Wait a second. Let me see that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, great. Real bullets. Oh, what? I'll keep this. You're in a lot of trouble, mister. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, speaking of which, I, I thought that was the one part that, that uh, really showed the limits of Chevy Chase. Oh, when they're crying? When they're doing the fake comedic comic fake cry. Uh-huh. And both Steve Martin and, and Martin Short are pretty pretty good at pulling that off. Chevy Chase is horrible at it. I thought all three of them were funny. It's just like, you know, it, it highlights, oh, yeah, these are children. But, yeah, he wasn't as funny as the other two. I I, I will give him uh, some credit, though, something we haven't talked about, and I, I think is one of the kind of funniest little side moments is when they're all partying with the uh, people of Santa Poco, and he, uh, he has that guitar, and he just... Yes. I wrote that down. He's trying to serenade the women, I guess. And it's just this nonsense kind of screaming. (laughs) Yeah. And he, he, of course, in a similar fashion later, gets the best of the three uh, uh, chants to summon the invisible swordsman. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which I, I assume all three of those were just like, you know, make up noises kind of was the direction. Um, apparently, yeah, his uh, his scream is a direct reference to uh, his character in The Man with Two Brains, which is Dr. Michael Hafar, as well as, in fact, he kept, he referenced a bunch of his other movies, like uh, in uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, he kept getting shot in the left arm, and so he got shot in the left arm in this movie, and little stuff like that. Little Steve Martinisms. I wonder if Chip 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 Nanny was a reference to anything. Though. I don't know, but it was great. I, but yeah, I don't Chevy think Chase the noise did get that, the best one. 
Yeah, I don't think the noise he makes. Uh, that I, I feel like if that's a reference to something, then I want to know what that is. Yeah. But yeah, that's just. I, I just uh, I just want to see that notepad that they had to read out loud and how that <laughs> said that. There's two great things uh, of about that sequence that I think helps make it work so much. It, it, one is that the singing bush just continues to sing through the whole thing. Yes. Um, and Chevy Chase, I love how ridiculous his character finds chanting for the invisible swordsman, but doesn't find the singing bush as ridiculous. Like they're in front of this like magical bush and he's like, is rolling his eyes at the idea of an invisible swordsman. I, I just like how they kept going up to the singing bush and trying to get it to answer yes or no. <laughs> Are you the singing bush? Like, oh, no, shit. The, the perfect capstone, the whole thing, you know, after the... Uh, I don't know if that's a well, Wilhelm scream for the invisible swordsman dying, but it's a like hilarious it. scream yeah. either way uh, when he dies. But then Martin Short going over and picking up his invisible hand and yeah. dropping it. He's dead. And ever and then be so casual about it. Yeah, <laughs> he's gone. I, I I also just love how that's how to find El Guapo. <laughs> yes, there's so many layers to it. I like remember before I was watching it this time around, I I knew that they had to go on that quest, but I couldn't remember why they had to go uh-huh. on that quest. And then when they started, when they got to the uh, the camp the campfire scene and they're they're like reading out the the steps they need to take i was like wait did i miss a scene where they they were told by one of the villagers to go hunt this down or something and then suddenly martin short is like and you know like we'll find the invisible swordsman and and he'll take us to el guapo i was like wait that's what it was all about they just needed to find el guapo they they kind of make you almost believe for a second with those throwaway lines that like oh someone gave them like just dumb directions because you know they looked at these people and were like oh these people are idiots so I'll, I'll I'll charge them a few bucks and give them these bum directions but yeah it's it, it was all real it was all real magical directions yep that they That's, also flubbed up it's just I, yeah it's so hilarious if, uh... that they screw up this like ludicrous magical scenario yeah. I think it's up there in one. If there was like a list, like you know, top fifty moments, comedy history, I feel like this scene deserves to be on there. Yeah, it's definitely the highlight of the movie, and it's led up to so well with, like you said, the movie becoming kind of larger than life as soon as they become the heroes, and we get that uh, that really pretty but also hilarious, um, you know break into in the song with the three of them and the the talking turtle good night ned good night ned that was apparently john landis's idea i love that they're eating bat too <laughs> and they're, they're like trying to rip apart this rock hard bat with their mouth yeah that was another thing like uh i wrote down like a lot of the jokes were either the 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 three bit jokes or they were entirely just reaction shots. Mm-hmm. Like it would be, here's a weird scenario. Let's have each of these actors react to it. And it's like, oh, Ned cooked dinner. He made bat. How, uh, how's, you know, like, okay, now Chevy, take a bite, react. <laughs> Steve Martin, take a bite, react. And, and they, they all came up with pretty amusing reactions to it like i liked steve martin's just huh not bad mm-hmm. somehow little nettie martin short makes his verse in that song equally you know funny but also like he's definitely the best singer out of the three there yeah i think that was like the 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 joke was yeah like- yeah sure but also just his delivery of some of those lines is naturally funny and his facial expressions yeah. and how serious he's taking it yeah it was it, it, it's it's one of those i don't know just bizarre but funny but like i don't know it's definitely bizarre i don't know why it's so funny to me the way he says soft wind blowing but soft it's just it, it's funny yeah speaking of weird bizarreness what was the 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 uh you know like the close-up shot of the guy the 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 flash operator for el guapo's camera 
Yeah. I, Why I don't did know. he just they they cut it to him to smile really he, big? I, I I took away. He just found it really amusing. He likes lighting he likes that up. Flash. I don't know. <laughs> it was interesting. But that that was a good example of one of those things that like. I see what he was going for, what what Landis and Martin and the gang were going for there by like making El Guapo be this kind of eccentric oh, character, yeah. like that he is, he dabbles in photography, yeah. and he has all these weird, you know, uh, isms. He ar- argues with his friend over a plethora. Like he's a goofy character. Not only does he argue over a plethora. But uh, Hefe, as Hefe points out, you know, it's 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 not really about the plethora. He's like, mm-hmm. is this just another time when you're taking all your anger out on me? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a yeah. cute sequence that it does. It doesn't laugh out no. loud, and it, but it, it's enjoyable what they do with this character. They make him more than just you know a villain kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but I I do kind of wish that there would have been a bit more. Uh, I I don't know how they could have done it, but I, I wish there was more humor in, in the uh, the El Guapo side, you know, the uh, in in the villains. Yeah. Uh, the last little bit of trivia is the concept of film actors getting sucked into a real world situation after the Three Amigos has been reused in both Galaxy Quest and Tropic Thunder mm-hmm. to great success. Oh yeah, um, and I. Maybe I'm wrong, but I because I can't think off the top of my head of other examples. But I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't, you know, the first time of this. It seems like a kind of one of those ages old ideas. I'm sure it was used in a short story before this or another kind of comic thing. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this was the original. But, I mean, the ending sequence alone felt a lot like the ending of Blazing Saddles to me. And there's a lot of little bits in it that uh, I feel like weren't the most original, but it, it just, it it does a good job of landing the things that it does do originally. Yeah. Well, like the town dressing up and disguising us, that was a trope in actual Westerns before that was a comedy trope. Sure, sure. I'm not saying, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying a little weird use the same my exact kind of throwback thing in in a very kind of i i guess it's just a symptom of doing a spoof ish kind of thing spoof family kind of thing uh in the same genre i guess you're gonna overlap on your tropes yeah 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 you make a western thing and you run out of yeah how are we gonna resolve this what is it that this town really does well? We can sew. There you go, you can sew. Ah. If only we had known this earlier. Ned, Dusty, sewing. Remember our film, Amigos, Amigos, Amigos? I couldn't tell if Chevy Chase's uh, Dusty Bottoms was genuinely being, like, you know, excited to know that or if that was supposed to be sarcasm. I, I, um, I don't know. I think it was sarcasm. I th- but I think but at first it sounded genuine. I, I think so. he was, like, half listening. He's like, great, you can sew. And then <laughs> it, like, dawned on me. He's like, oh, I don't know. Then it turned into sarcasm. I hope that they found work after this. Yeah. Because, you know, it leaves pretty open. It, it leaves with the Western ending, but, like, you know, did they make it back to Hollywood, get, get some more movies? Uh, what what did those darn amigos do? Well, uh, wherever they go, they're going to be together. That Yeah, that's true. Um, But this was a movie from 1986. Uh, once again, here on the Gag Reel podcast, we got to ask... The, the age-old question, how has it aged? You're old. You're Groaning like a geezer. Feel yourself a-cracking like an old has-been. Look at yourself, old man. You that is a good question. 
Was there anything particularly that that stuck out to you, Will, that uh, you felt like, wow, wow, wee, wow, that uh, would not be in a movie nowadays kind of thing? I think the female lead would have a little more characterization. Uh Um, I think the the Mexico-ness would have been a little more fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of this is like, it's weird to kind of, I guess Blazing Saddles kind of in some ways had the same thing of like, how much of this is them throwing back to these, you know, old school Westerns? How much of this is just of the times when it was made? I, well, like, I feel like the fact that it is in Mexico was only because it was about these silent film stars and that was the only wild west esque part of you know nearby that was anything close Mm -hmm. enough to the wild west still in terms of history that they could squeeze it into that said it's it 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 feels a lot like uh not mexico Uh i don't know i don't i don't think yeah no i mean everyone there speaks english everybody speaks english and uh, they're definitely just acting like it's it's yeah, forty years back in the Wild West. Yeah, um, I was happy from what I could tell. It didn't look like that many people were like in bronze or brown face, but I could be mistaken. They did hire for the majority. If you look on like the uh, the cast list, it's it's majority. Uh, you know, like the at the, the names at the very least are uh, Hispanic, and I know El Guapo. Played by uh, Alfonso Aral. He's a Mexican actor and director. He's done like dozens upon dozens of Spanish language films. He was in a few American movies like uh, The Wild Bunch as the bad guy. I mean, but yeah, he was in a bunch of Mexican stuff. He's in El Topo. Yeah, he was great in this. He, he, he didn't have, El Guapo didn't get too much, but I feel like he brought that character to life yeah. and gave it more than it would have. If it would, you know, would have been just uh, someone else. Yeah, like uh, Carmen was Patrice Martinez. Uh, like, like they definitely got, at the very least, uh, Mexican Americans. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they did. It. I, I didn't. I did not see any egregious brown face. Although I would guarantee you that maybe two thirds, if not more, of those actors spoke with completely normal American accents and had to fake yeah. up an accent, but that's... Yeah, no, this... Yeah, exactly. It sounded very old Western, kind of, with their dialects. Like that bartender, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was hamming yeah. it up. Well, so long as we've got some time to kill, I think I'll have a beer. We don't have no beer, just tequila. What, what's tequila? Yeah, it's like beer. Is it fattening? Bethany's? He did a good job hamming it up. He gave he gave a really good performance. I remember as a kid, like one of my friends in middle school, that was his favorite character to quote every time he saw the movie. This town's just getting it's getting too rough for him. It's it's a great character. That whole sequence works really yeah. well. Random question: This would have been what the the 30s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, were were these Germans just straight up Nazis? That's a good question. It's not very clear. Uh, they were arms dealers. We don't know if these were Nazi guns. Yeah. But you could always wonder. That is a good question. But I think we, we've had a good chat on the, the three amigos. I look forward to the emails, the, uh, the messages about the three amigos to anyone else who loves this movie and wants to write in and tell us that we're way wrong and there's a much funnier bit than the Invisible Swordsman, please do so. Write into gagrealpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, um, or go to the website, gagrealpod.com. Do all the gags. Um, just, all, just Do all the gag reeling. Do all the gags. But two weeks from now, we will have a new episode, as always. Um, this one is going to be about... The SNL spinoff film, MacGruber, uh, Will Forte's Forte. 
I'm excited to chat about MacGruber because I feel like it's an underappreciated gem in the world of kind of SNL alum comedies. Uh, that and Wayne's World are my two favorites when it comes to SNL yeah. comedies. Yeah, there's definitely like a handful of others that I love, but I don't know if it gets better than the Wayne's World films and and the, and MacGruber. Yeah. But it's been a while since I saw MacGruber, uh, and I'm excited to rewatch it. We have lots of other things in store for the next few months. We are going to do an episode about Freaks and Geeks. We might have more Top Fives coming up. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll get back to that trial of Adam Sandler, and we'll actually get a verdict. Uh, maybe we'll go through the more, uh, you know, go deeper and darker, uh, deeper into darker territory. We still got two damn decades of that shiz. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I still hopefully have a few more decades of my life, you know, and <laughs> this might steal some of that, but I think it'd be worth it for you guys, the listeners out there. Yeah. But I, I guess that that's all I have, unless you, you have anything else to say, Will. Don't smoke crack. Don't smoke crack. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh... But if you do, yeah, make sure that you don't shoot the invisible swordsman. Yeah. Have a good one. As always, I'm out. Gag-a-doodle-doo. It's been a doozy. It's over now.